0: is an audio platform created to educate, inform, and empower women to take charge of their physical and mental health. Join Shalana Battle and her occasional guests as they discuss many issues and health topics that concern women. While many health tips and advice will be discussed on this platform by licensed professionals, it should not take the place of seeking help from your own physician or therapist. If you feel that you need professional advice or medical assistance, do not hesitate to contact your provider. Now, let's get to the show. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the East Rock Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shalana Battle. I hope that everyone's week is off to a fantastic start. We are back with season seven. Yes, you heard that correctly. We are back with season seven and episode 91 of the eavesdrop podcast. I have a wonderful lineup for the month of June and to kickstart the month of June, I have invited midwife Sakisa Berry on the podcast to discuss complications in pregnancy and how women can navigate their new diagnosis and also navigate their healthcare system. And then next week, yours truly, that will be me, <laughs> I will do a solo episode about sexual assault and I will give a review of this new documentary that is on Netflix called Victim Suspect. Throughout this episode, I will talk about the sensitive subject of sexual assault and how women can protect themselves. And also, I will discuss what a woman can do if she is sexually assaulted and then how to begin the healing process. And then for our episode on June 18th, I invited Alina Surratt on the show. She is the owner of Millennial Mompreneur a company that focuses on motherhood, entrepreneurship, and also fitness. And she and I will have a conversation about the importance of fitness and also accomplishing your goals and aspirations while you are raising children. Because I think as women, when we are busy taking care of everyone else, we typically forget about ourselves a little bit. And so I want to invite her on to just... Motivate us to continue to take care of ourselves while we are taking care of others. And then, lastly, on June 25th, we will explore how to heal and make positive transformation after a breakup or divorce with certified life and relationship coach Brittany Abrams. Y'all, June is about to be great. I am so excited for this month's podcast episodes because. All of the women who will grace the eavesdrop podcast with their presence this month are motivated about their craft, and most of all, they are in the business of helping women prosper, and I am here for it, and I'm so excited for what's to come this month. So today, I would like to introduce to you Sakisa Berry. She is a traditional community midwife. She is a birth justice activist and community leader for Black birth workers throughout the metro Atlanta area. She is also the founder and director of the Atlanta Doula Collective, and I am so honored to have her on our show today. During this episode, she and I will explore the difference between a midwife and obstetrician. We will discuss the different environments in which women can give birth. And we will also discuss complications in pregnancy and how women can navigate their way through a new diagnosis and also navigate their way through the healthcare system. We're going to discuss all of this and so much more. I hope that you stay tuned all the way to the end because there are a lot of great gems that you can use for yourself or you can share with other women. Now, I hope that you are ready for this episode. If so... Here is the conversation. Hello, Sakisa, and welcome to the eavesdrop.
1: Greetings. Greetings. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, I am so honored to have you on the show with us today because I think that we're going to be discussing a very important topic. We're discussing how to navigate complications in pregnancy. And I thought that this would be an important topic to discuss because there are many women who are being labeled as having a high-risk pregnancy, but they're not being given the proper tools to help them navigate their new diagnosis or the healthcare system. And so I'm excited to have you on today. But before we begin this important conversation, I wanted to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to our
1: audience. Thank you. I sure will. So yes, my name is Fakisa Berry. I am a traditional midwife serving the Metro Atlanta area. I'm also the founder and the executive director of the Atlanta Doula Collective. Also, of course, here in the Metro Atlanta area mother of four. I'm in that transitional parenting now where learning to adult parent. That's a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, I am an author, have written a couple of books, also written a a couple of curriculums as well. Just all things birth, very, very much emerged or submerged in this work. And you know, all things birth work is where I stand. Yes. And we definitely
0: need People in our community today that are passionate about helping women bring life into the world. And I admire you. I admire midwives. And speaking of midwives, I wanted to give you also opportunity to discuss what a midwife is and how they differ from like your traditional OBGYNs, because I believe we know more about Having a gynecologist or OB deliver our babies, but not many women know what a midwife would be.
1: Certainly, certainly. And I'm glad you lifted that up because people typically ask, me, "What is the difference between a midwife and a doula?" So I rarely ever get to speak to the, the differences between an obstetrician and a midwife, which is very, very different. And I do think it's important for for women to understand, or just people, period, need to understand the difference between an obstetrician and a midwife because. Obstetricians are surgeons, essentially. They study pathology, the pathology of pregnancy and birth. They are specialists in their field. If you consider general care physicians for what it's worth, right? They are general care physicians typically assess the full body. And if there's something that stands out, say for instance, something going on with your foot, then they send you to a podiatrist, right? If something going on, I don't know, with your your eye or something, you're gonna go and see an eye doctor for that. But similarly with an obstetrician, they specialize in pregnancy, but more importantly, the pathology of pregnancy. And that's, that's key, I think. Whereas when you're dealing with the midwife, we specialize in the normality of pregnancy, right? We understand and from the the roots of our teachings, we understand that birth is natural and normal. I tell my families, it's a continuation of sex. It's the reproduction process. There's nothing sick about pregnancy, right? You can have a, you know, an ill pregnancy, in which case you would need that pathologist or that obstetrician. But if you are normal and natural, no risk, you really should be seeing a midwife because that's what we center. We both, we specialize in women's care in terms of pregnancy specifically. There are some midwives that will dabble in some GYN, but most of us typically are just rooted in, maternity care. And so we see you throughout the pregnancy upwards of a few weeks postpartum. Yeah. And I like that you
0: mentioned the normality of pregnancy, because I think that's kind of what's wrong with our healthcare system as it pertains to the obstetric side of it. We, We are constantly looking for pathology. So I think that leads to unnecessary interventions all the time. And when we have unnecessary Absolutely. interventions. It's like a domino effect of mm-hmm. different things that can happen. And I like the fact that midwives just kind of stand back and let nature take its course. They let the process take its course. And, yeah. um, and I think we need more of that. We really do. For sure. Because I think if we had more of that we would have less C-sections, we will have... Yeah less postpartum hemorrhages, better outcomes for mom and baby. And so I definitely encourage people to look into having a midwife for those purposes. If you have a really healthy pregnancy.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I agree. Mm-hmm.
0: So <laughs> what was your inspiration behind becoming a midwife?
1: You know, people ask me that one often and I have yet to learn how to simplify my answer. <laughs> it's just think So for me, it's interesting. It has been an interesting growing up to realize that so many people don't know what they want to do or what they're destined to do. For me, actually, I knew from a very young age and I didn't have a word for it, though. So from a very young age, I knew I wanted to help women have children. And even I remember in middle school when they was asking, we had to eighth grade graduation. You had to say what you want to do when you grow up. And they were building this this board, this collage. And I said, I wanted to have have women have children. And I was inspired by actually Bill Cosby, the Cosby show. If anybody remembers the Cosby show, the old school Cosby show in the nineties, he was an obstetrician. And so that's what the teachers told me that I wanted to do. Oh, it was like, oh, you want to be an obstetrician? Fast forward college. I quickly saw freshman year. That's not what I wanted to do. I did not want to be a surgeon. It did not resonate with me when I fully was able to understand what an obstetrician was, I just changed my major to nursing. I didn't, no one had ever, did not even mention the word midwife to me until my second pregnancy, which her father actually suggested that we have a home birth and hire a midwife. And that was in the state of South Carolina and it was mind blowing for me. I didn't even know that was legal. I didn't know that was a thing. Mind you, that child of mine will be 23 this year. So that was just, you know a, a pivotal moment in my life. Once I met that midwife and gathered a greater understanding of the service she provided, I knew that's what I wanted to do, and even after or during that pregnancy and for some time after, I studied alongside her. So my journey truly began twenty three years ago <laughs> with the with that pregnancy of becoming a um a midwife, but I didn't hit it head on, fully engaged in it until my children were a lot older. So 2010 is when I went under the, the arms of the, the guidance and the tutelage of elder midwives here in Metro Atlanta area. Mama Saran, more specifically, she's known as here, Saran Henderson. Um, she became my mentor, a preceptor, as we call it in this work. And still to this day, if I have any concerns, I can call on Mama. And she's been doing this work over 40 years, caught hundreds of babies, you know, and she's just a jewel in my pocket whenever I need it. My genie in the lamp. I call on her. <laughs> <laughs> <That> <laughs> Mama, you ever listen to her. her. <laughs> yeah. That Absolutely. is the lesson. I
0: think any <laughs> profession, if you're a young person doing it, you have to have that guidance. You know, you have to have somebody right. that's kind of pushing you and, you know, always in your ear, you know, whispering words of wisdom. You have to have that. Yeah. And that's the blessing that you have her. And before we got into talking about the complications of pregnancy, I wanted to take a minute to discuss the different environments where women can can give birth. Oftentimes, I think we get caught up with the traditional setting, like the hospital setting, because that's where most births occur. And I don't think that most women know or are educated about all of their, their options when it comes down to their birthing setting. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about other settings that are also suitable for giving birth
1: another good question so yeah i will say traditional setting truly is the home birth all right we're only a few generations removed from that only a few i would say three fourth most at the absolute most generations removed from home birth settings, and still you know for the most part around the world specifically in developing countries they're still censoring home birth in those spaces You know, for reason of access, right? Access to those major hospitals, but certainly the hospital, as you mentioned, and then birth centers is another option. We unfortunately don't have many of those here in Georgia. We're limited. Florida is a lot more progressive in terms of birth. Y'all got some other things going on, but (laughs) in terms of birth. It terms a birth. Y'all are far more progressive. You license your midwives. Midwives can have malpractice insurance. They can be paid through insurance. Yeah. And to my knowledge, you have more birth centers. Even the first Black birth center, if I'm not mistaken, is there in, in school by Jenny Joseph out there Yeah. for direct entry midwives. But then there's also, that's it, birth centers, home birth, and hospitals. Those, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, those are the the only three spaces. Some people do these earth births. That's uh, a little, yeah. little adventurous for me. I've never done that where you're yeah. just picking a landscape. Kind
0: of, yeah. Seasonally. Like I yeah. saw
1: one the other day
0: where a woman gave birth in the ocean. Like
1: exactly in the surface of the ocean. Yeah. Not quite ready. I've been invited. <laughs> I'm not quite ready. Not quite ready for that one. I, I think I'm a little too controlling. Yes. To, to no. <laughs> well <laughs> you I know, know you to, each to have some control, <laughs> I do. I want some control, and it's too many variables that can happen in my mind in the ocean, and yeah. then I also consider, yeah. you know, cleanliness, yeah. bacteria, it, right? Somebody drowning that comes up. No, <laughs> <laughs> I have some quality control over this experience. We can labor in the ocean, but I want you to come out get on this chuck pad
0: right <laughs> right once you're ready fully dilated come out the ocean
1: please <laughs> let's do that no I'm uh, not ready for the <laughs> earthburst I'm gonna let them have that for a minute yes
0: <laughs> but it is adventurous and it's a beautiful sight but I understand that could of be a little scary for some people but um, so you mentioned the home birthing and you also mentioned birthing centers And so, what are like the benefits to these settings? Like, why would couples or families choose these settings over the hospital?
1: In my experience, really just through conversations with families, is really comfort level. Mm
0: -hmm. It's the
1: comfort because, again, we are some generations removed from traditional home birth settings. Some families feel more comfortable in a hospital, not in a hospital and in a birth center. You have those that prefer a birth center because you still have closer access in most cases. Birth centers are within a certain mile radius of a L and D specifically, you know, in an OR. So in their minds, if something goes wrong, they have, you know, greater access or or quicker Mm -hmm. access to that space. Whereas in a home birth, it just depends on where you live in proximity Mm -hmm. to that hospital. But... You know, I always like families to understand in that vein that, you know, birth is nothing like television, mm-hmm. like we've been led to believe the body is amazing at mm-hmm. showing you signs when it's struggling. And that's what we lean on mm-hmm. as home birth midwives specifically. We're looking in, at your body and trying to understand what is telling us in this experience. Mm-hmm. Is it struggling right now? And if it is, well, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. We don't sit around and wait for what we call a train wreck, which is a very common term we use here in, in the home birth sector. like We don't wait for a train wreck. We transport early on, if need be, when we see signs of struggle. Yeah. So, But I think that's that's the main reason why families will choose a birth center versus a hospital. And then if they choose a hospital, it really is a lot of times either because they are high risk they just don't know about the other options, mm-hmm. can't afford them. Affordability is a big barrier here in Georgia, again, because it's not covered by insurance. Yeah. And then again, there's comfort, yeah. you know, just under, with that comfort of knowing, you know, if, if something goes wrong, because birth is, is rooted in fear, intentionally so.
0: Yeah. You know, that
1: was intentional by our medical system to corral us into those hospital spaces. They intentionally put fear in us so that we will run and flee to those supposed to be safe spaces. Sadly, Mm -hmm. they're proving to be just the opposite. Yeah. I was watching a
0: documentary once before, and I think that's how midwifery became a little obsolete because at one point, all births were really attended by midwives. Um, Absolutely. And then, you know, doctors started attending deliveries because- They started painting the picture that birthing at home and having midwives were not safe. They started treating pregnancy like a pathology. But also in that documentary, it talked about when you look at some of the countries that are still developing, where all the births are usually attended by midwives versus the countries who are developed like us, um, Mm -hmm. where the doctors attend most of the births you have better outcomes in those countries where midwives are attending yes the majority of the births. Yes. And so um yeah I think there's just a really big misconception of fear when it comes down to pregnancy. No, no doubt. And
1: to your point, you're absolutely right. And my first book, When Birth Calls, mm-hmm. I touch on that when I in the chapters where I do explore mid, the pathways of Midwifery. I touch on it. The history or the her story of midwifery yeah. and how it was intentionally pushed out. Mm-hmm. They did paint this negative light, and mm-hmm. sadly, in my travels, I have done a couple of mission trips in my life, and in those experiences, I see that they do the exact same thing. They mm-hmm. paint a negative light for midwives in those spaces. Mm-hmm. They want, they say that she's unclean, she's ignorant. Um, mm-hmm. That's not what you want. You don't want to have a home birth. And these are countries that are poorly understaffed and poorly, they don't have the tools. They don't have the the tools and the equipment to even manage the volume of births that they receive, Mm -hmm. but yet you have the audacity to talk about home birth midwives. Right. Mind boggling to me. Like, why not? If you feel that way, let's train them. Let's train those midwives so that you can have, again, those better outcomes and women would have better options for their birth experience right right
0: and and the cost is better with home births right
1: it absolutely it actually is now out of pocket depending on your state that's where it can be a little different right because medicaid is another resource that you know makes birth affordable here in the state mm-hmm. right you don't have to pay for it when you have your baby at when you have medicaid right but out of pocket if you did have to pay, even high end deductibles can be upwards of seven thousand for a birth. Home birth here in the state of Georgia, you could probably tell me what they have. Here in the state of Georgia, it's anywhere in that same range, between five to seven thousand. But I had did a post about a year or so ago. I went online and, and searched search for medical bills for birth, mm-hmm. and the average is about thirty thousand. Right. Okay. Thirty thousand. I know I've spoke I've had people to, to receive their bills here in this mm-hmm. state, and it's, it's upwards of forty thousand. Once you get an epidural, all of the IV fluids and you know pain management is upwards of forty thousand dollars that is mm-hmm. on the bill that your insurance is required to pay for. Yeah, and and that's a lot.
0: That's a that's a lot of yeah. money. <laughs>
1: Birth is a business. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <it was> badly. <laughs> so now
0: getting to like the complications of pregnancy like there are many complications that can occur during pregnancy during the intrapartum and postpartum stages and I wanted to focus on two of the most common pregnancy disorders and, and that's preeclampsia and gestational diabetes and I chose these two disorders because They're very common amongst women of color and they affect us disproportionately, you know, when compared to other women of other races and they generally can cause adverse outcomes if they're left untreated or not treated properly. And I feel like the more women know about it, the more they're able to advocate for themselves. So I wanted to discuss preeclampsia
1: first. So- I know, and I'm so I'm so happy we're touching on this right now because that's another one I feel like the flames are being fanned with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so preeclampsia really is a form of hypertension, pregnancy-induced in, hy- hypertension, mm-hmm. and it presents with a number of signs. So, symptoms rather, you see swelling. There's increased proteins in the urine, and of course, you have very he- elevated hypertension. Mom mm-hmm. may have headaches. She's just having all these different signs. But what we identify is the swelling the proteins, and the, the elevated blood pressures mm-hmm. and so all of these things are controllable mm-hmm. they are controllable I've had several mothers over the years to present with some preeclampsia or preeclamptic symptoms and even have all three mm-hmm. and we're able to reverse it with simple tools like my go-to really is first and foremost stress management yes identify what's causing your your blood pressure to be elevated so stress management is always the first step that might require some bed rest, taking some time off of work, really censoring your health, helping them understand the importance of this moment and taking advantage of this moment to reverse where we are. And then from there, we're going to touch on some dandelion. Dandelion is an herbal tea. You can find it in Walmart. It's not that, you know, they're growing right now in, in, in springtime in Georgia, little yellow flowers. Sometimes, the, you know, as little children, we grab the seat, then we blow it with the wish flower, right? <laughs> so dandelion um, is very, very helpful in pulling the excess fluid off of your body. It's safe for pregnancy and it's safe for breastfeeding. I swear by it. It's a gentle liver cleanser as well. So it helps to flush out a lot of the extra stress hormones that's piled up in your body, right? So we're going to use that dandelion the and then possibly some magnesium. If you notice when you're admitted in the hospital for hypertension, especially if you're expecting, the first thing they're going to put you on is mag- magnesium drip. Well, we can do that at home with just uh, over-the-counter magnesium supplement. And magnesium is a really great muscle relaxant overall in your body. And so with those three things, we're able to, in all the cases that I've had, turn those, turn that around. And another thing i like to add to that, Black women in America, we are born with the highest level of stress hormones. That's been documented for well over 10 years now. We're born with the highest level of stress hormones than anybody else in this country. With this research, they found that any immigrant woman that moves here to the States and she begins to have children, that second generation woman, female child that she has here. And it begins to be born with those same elevated cortisol hormones that black American women are. And so that research really was a foundation for where we are now with the understanding of the impact that the medical industrial complex has on women of color and why we have higher rates of maternal mortality, because it's all rooted in this systemic racism and how it transcends your, your education level, your, your, it doesn't matter is rooted. It's all rooted in that systemic racism piece. And the fact that we're born with these elevated Stress hormones in this country.
0: I was having this conversation with someone else before on the podcast. And when I did a little research about that theory, it compared our health as African American women to the game of Jenga. And basically, when you think about like the systemic racism that we have to go through, the medical racism, sometimes our social economic challenges and things like that, it's kind of like pulling pieces away from you each time and when a woman gets pregnant and they have to constantly go through that there's really nothing left to really emotionally mentally or really physically to carry a child with and so that does puts us at a disadvantage when it comes to certain disorders and actually getting through the challenges of it absolutely
1: definitely I I feel like we have space and time well, we have to take back control of our own health care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're that's working true. with the system that is proven to us consistently to be failing us. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it, you yeah. know, it behooves us. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> does. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> to, to, to take responsibility for our own health care in, that, in mm-hmm. that regard, right? You know, like, I'm yes. not saying we have to deliver our own babies in a way that we're doing what they're calling tree birth now. Mm-hmm. That was Certainly not alluding to that, but definitely being more cautious and aware of your your overall body. Right. You know, and how it relates to you know, and just can't rely on going to a provider and appeal to fix your problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's proven not to work for
0: us. I mean,
1: yeah. We are not the standard in this country mm-hmm. when it comes to how, you know, the medical practices. So for example, with our labs when you look at them, the numbers there do not reflect our true numbers. And I always, like hemoglobin is the one that we look at to understand your blood bias. And if you have whole low hemoglobin or if you're anemic, then they put you on an iron supplement, right? And so that is true for a lot of black women tend to be very anemic in our pregnancies. But nonetheless, the numbers that are reflected there are not our numbers, they are for Caucasian women. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one of the examples that shows that we are not the standard that is used for the for a lot of the drugs that we're given. And that to me that explains why we have so many adverse reactions to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because we're yeah. not the ones that's being tested to for the outcome of these drugs. So that's why we don't thrive well on a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs that they that are administered to us here in the country. Yes. Oh. I wanted to talk about like the
0: risk factors for preeclampsia. I know all women are at risk. Once we get pregnant, you know, there is a risk of preeclampsia, but some women may be more at risk than others just because of modifiable and non-modifiable factors. And I wanted to talk about some of those risks that are associated and then how some women can lower their risk or possibly lower their chances of getting preeclampsia
1: in pregnancy. Diet and nutrition is key. And so for preeclampsia, what puts you, what they're saying right now, if you're a black woman over the age of 30, you're automatically at risk of preeclampsia. That's typically what I hear from a lot of my clients, my families, that they come to me, they already put them on a baby aspirin for those main reasons. They're a black woman and they're over the age of 30, It used to be 35. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was the second part to your question?
0: How women can possibly lower their risk or lower their chances of getting preeclampsia by knowing what their risk factors are?
1: Obesity certainly is a contributing factor. And again, as I was saying earlier, the stress management, we manage so well. Mm. You know, through epigenetics, we understand that it's just pre-coded in our DNA from slavery until now, Mm. right? That we we have this superpower as African-American women to just be able to cope with stress on a much higher level really than anyone else. And that also goes back to what I said. We're born with these elevated stress hormones, but that's to our own demise. Yeah. That's not necessarily a superpower we want to honor and and hold because the impact it has on us is those health problems as it relates to our hypertension, our gestational diabetes the fibroids, the PCOS, all these other health challenges that we're faced with really is rooted in the fact that we are already high, we have these high levels of cortisol hormones in our bodies. And the reason that is too, and just to go a little bit off the track, you know, we all understand how stress can be rooted in so many different ailments and health issues. One of my children was very young, my daughters actually, And we did a allergy counter on her. I had it done for all four of my children. But this child specifically had all of these allergies that came back. And her physician said, this was a naturopathic physician. She was like, you see all of these things that she's allergic to? She was like, now look at her adrenals. And her adrenals was very high. She's like, your daughter has very high stress hormones. And when your body is constantly in this state, a fight and flight it it has no time to heal yeah Mm -hmm. and so and she was like eight (laughs) right and so we had you know this end-up conversation about how to help my Mm eight-year-old stress manage right it was just mind-boggling to me and this is before I even knew a fraction of the things that I'm talking about now Mm -hmm. and this child now is the one that's 23 we have to understand the impact that's that stress has on us and that's why I'm saying it's not a superpower that we want to adhere to so I would going back to ways that we can prevent it is look at your life and understand the stress levels that's in your life right and and understand how you can best manage them stop accepting a headache as normal that's a big one I think that in pregnancy sadly so many of our healthcare providers normalize things that are common
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: are not normal for the body a headache is never normal Mm -hmm. right swelling on the body is never normal no but you have these pregnancy apps these little pregnancy brochures and even your providers will tell these mothers and I know because they come back to me I do collaborative care whether they know it or not (laughs) Mm they're seeing me and their OB at the same time throughout (laughs) the pregnancy whether they you know Agree to it or not, and they're telling my mothers that these things are normal. Oh, just take mm-hmm. a Tylenol. Oh, that swelling is normal. No, it is not. Yeah. And so we have an in-depth conversation to root of these things. And many times, I address a headache. Where is the headache showing up on your body? In mm-hmm. your head? Is it in the back of your head? Is it on the side of your head? We can identify based on location what can be causing it. Mm-hmm. Is it insomnia? Is it lack of water? Is it too much salt? Are you feeding yourself? Are you stressed? Is All it preeclampsia? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 those things would be the would cause the preeclampsia, right? Mm-hmm. I think preeclampsia is being painted as this disease, but it is a combination of symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So a headache is a part of the preeclampsia, mm-hmm. which is potentially rooted in the hypertension. Exactly. So- Right, so if we can address what's causing the headache, a lot of times we can get ahead of the preeclampsia by just addressing what's causing your headache.
0: Yeah, it's not
1: just pregnancy hormones. If it's pregnancy hormones, drink more water. Let's right. flush those hormones out your system. Right, yeah. And, and the headaches go away as a result of just yeah. increasing your hydration.
0: And that's what I think is the problem in the healthcare system. It's so superficial. No one is really yeah. trying to get down to the root are the cause of certain things. Like we're constantly treating the symptoms. We're looking at the patient right. as a quote unquote disease and not necessarily looking at all the factors that could be contributing to the health outcome of this patient. You know, right. it's really important that care becomes holistic where we are Absolutely. looking at every single aspect of the woman and how all those things are affecting her pregnancy because as you mentioned, you know, those are things that we can catch early to prevent poor outcomes. You know, we can prevent pre-cancer yeah. just by addressing the simple things, you know, yeah. is she eating well, she may have other kids that she has to take care of. Maybe she's right. doing everything by herself and it's stressing right. her out. You know, how can we provide resources so that way she's yeah. able to manage all of this and take care of herself at the same time? You know, so exactly. I think we have to look more deep into
1: issues. Yeah. no, I totally agree. And you can't mm-hmm. do that when you're seeing 30 to 40 patients a week. You can't. There's absolutely no way you can provide yeah. that quality of care. You're, you're, you're going to miss things. Yeah. It's yeah. You, so, I agree with yeah. you
0: 100%. So we talked about headaches and swelling that can occur with preeclampsia. But if so, if a mother has preeclampsia, What are some warning signs and symptoms that she should be aware of
1: that should have her running back to her provider? So any of the things that we just mentioned, the Mm -hmm. hypertension is going to contribute to, even before that, swelling. Let's just start Mm -hmm. with the swelling because when you have swelling, occasional swelling in your ankles and feet, and what I mean by occasional is, say for instance, you were on a long car ride or you had a a flight, right? A, A lengthy flight that you just experienced, or you work a job where you're standing on your feet. Mm-hmm. your hairstylist, your teacher, your retail, right? These are places where you might experience some residual swelling in your feet, especially in late pregnancy. When that swelling starts the inches way up to your ankles and then your legs, now we're putting too much pressure on your vessels. Mm-hmm. That is not normal. Mm-hmm. And so you have women that are, we call it, it's edema or pitting. You can push your finger into the swelling, into that uh, swelling area and it leaves an imprint that's edema that's mm-hmm. and that is not good. It's putting too much pressure on the blood vessels and it's going to cause your blood pressure to elevate because your heart has to work harder to push blood through those vessels that are being mm-hmm. compressed by all this extra fluid. Mm-hmm. So you have to do more than just put your feet up. You want to mind your salt intake. Be very mindful of your salt intake. Be mindful of your hydration.
0: Mm-hmm. Believe it or
1: not, a lack of hydration can cause retention. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you're taking in half your body weight in um ounces, mm-hmm. in fluid ounces every day, mm-hmm. right? And not only just water, electrolytes are super and critical important and not electrolytes you're going to get from Gatorade and Powerade, but the electrolytes you receive from fruit specifically. You could do fruit mm-hmm. infused water mm-hmm. or just, just eat, eat the fruit and that's going to help you have more bowel movements <laughs> with yeah. all the extra fiber. <laughs> So many nutrients from that, anyway. But as far as running, going back to your provider, I hesitate to encourage a person to do that without taking some initiative on their own, because sadly, our obstetricians have painted such a negative light with preeclampsia, and they're very fearful of it. Mm. They're very afraid of preeclampsia, and the first thing they're going to tell you, they absolutely believe that the way you cure preeclampsia is with a C-section you have to give birth to the baby in order to cure it. And I I have argued with that in person and I've had families to debunk that. You need to treat the hypertension first. There is no other situation unless this person had a car accident or some other life-threatening situation, accident where they were brought into the ER, then they would ignore your blood pressure and do a surgery. And that is exactly what they do with preeclampsia and that is not right. They need to first treat the blood pressure. Yeah, My mother had to, I use her as an example. I often, she had to have surgery last year. She was scheduled for open heart surgery in April of last year. Mm. But when they saw that her blood pressure and her blood volumes were not up to par, they pushed it back to September mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. worked on those things. Yeah. So why can't we do something similar? I'm not saying you got, five months or six, five, however many months that is <laughs> <but> to, <laughs> such a thing, but we can address the symptoms first. And so what I had successful with doing with any family, if I had to transport them or send them in prematurely um, for elevated blood pressures, they're immediately met with, we need to do a C-section when they get to the OR, when they get to the L and D. And I tell them, do not allow them to do a C-section before they treat your blood pressure. And it requires so much confidence Mm. and tenacity to push through all of the backlash you're going to get from Mm. people telling you you're going to have a dead baby So all the things they're going to come at you with just to get them to treat your blood pressure. Once you get over that, they will. They'll put you on that magnesium drip. They will get your blood pressure down to where it needs to be. And then now if we need to talk about inducing via c-section or pitocin now that's on the table Mm -hmm. but it's so unfortunate these families are they have to endure all of that conflict Mm -hmm. and adversity before they will actually treat their symptoms and this is again rooted in the fear factor in the hospital so that's why I hesitate to say just go to the hospital if you feel like You have any of these symptoms because Mm -hmm. again, you can treat them. If you're now, if you have elevated blood pressure, certainly you want to have that looked into. Mm -hmm. But remember, you can buy magnesium in the drugstore. Magnesium Mm -hmm. is incredibly effective on lowering blood pressures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and one of my favorite is either bicarbonate Mm -hmm. or um, glycinate Mm -hmm. oxide is also helpful. It just takes a little longer. It's a little more synthetic, but a bicarbonate will usually come in a powder. And you mix it in with your water. I think it's it's highly absorbent. It works really quickly. Um, that's my go-to, a bicarbonate. If I have a mom that's presenting with some high blood pressure symptoms.
0: Yeah. I, I think I've seen it on both levels of the extreme. I've seen some providers treat the blood pressure and the woman's not responding. Her labs are continuing to get worse by the day. And they're just kind of yes. like... Lingering on, I've also right. seen a level where you're seeing where they're just ready to just deliver right away without trying mm-hmm. to do any other intervention. And sometimes there's really no in between. Um, right. You know, I think one thing that women can do is before you even decide to conceive, is really do your research on providers. Develop a rapport with someone who you feel you want to take care of you during your pregnancy and ask questions like, how do you manage certain conditions? You know, how aggressive are you? Are you conservative? And learn those things initially so that way you don't find yourself in a situation where you're not being afforded all the opportunities that you have. And also learn about the condition yourself because knowledge is power the more you know about certain things, the more you know about your options, the more you are able to be a part of your health care. Cause that's another right. thing. I like to educate my patients because I want them to be a part of what's going on with their health. I want them exactly. to be able to make decisions, inform decisions. And I think it's very difficult to do that if you don't really know what's going on. And a lot of women place a lot of trust in their healthcare providers, which you should, you should trust your health care provider but at the same time you have to know what's going on and you have to be right house. yeah and
1: i think we're, we're we're coming from two different lenses too again mm-hmm. i mentioned how much more compliant florida is in georgia yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are behind enemy lines here in georgia and i say that yeah. the, the utmost fervent because mm-hmm. we have the highest rate much high, i don't even know where florida stands in oh, terms of maternal real... mortality yeah, but we Georgia and New York, to my knowledge, last count had the highest rates for uh, black women yeah. in maternal mortality.
0: Yeah, we're climbing. Um, you know, we're climbing. too, unfortunately, and it's and we we have a really high C-section rate
1: here. Yeah, we do too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Insanely high. So it all goes back to what you said earlier. You made a valid, very valid point about the increase of obstetricians monitoring our care causing this mm-hmm. increase of C section, mm-hmm. which also causes this increase of maternal death. It's like a, a vicious cycle that we we found ourselves in. Yes. Yep. And then I
0: finally I want to discuss like gestational diabetes. Now how what is that and how is that
1: normally diagnosed? So blood test, right? We want to test your blood to see where your sugar levels are, just to exemplify it. We're looking at your glucose levels. Within mm-hmm. um, your blood and then also urine, mm-hmm. and so for me, you know, I might get pushed back to this, but I don't routinely do uh, gestational diabetes tests on all of my mamas mm-hmm. i don't I don't make it a, a, a staple requirement. I give individual care mm-hmm. and I base it on your urine and the growth of your baby, mm-hmm. and so if your baby is growing astronomically outside of the the margin of what we anticipate, which just for some context. Context. Your uterus grows in centimeters, correlating with how many weeks you are. And so, we do have a two-centimeter grace that we honor within that growth. For me, I like for it to be within one. Anything beyond that two-centimeter growth, we we start exploring other reasons. Like, what could it possibly be? So, if this baby, if you're twenty-eight weeks and you're measuring thirty-three weeks, then you know there's a possibility in your Either your dates are wrong <laughs> or you're, you have multiples in there, more than one baby, it's potentially. Or we might be looking at gestational diabetes because babies grow really big, really quickly on, on sugar, yeah. plain and simple on sugar. Yeah. And so also we look at your urine. Sometimes mm-hmm. you might spill excess ketones. I've even seen some excess proteins as well as glucose mm-hmm. in your urine. So that's why we're doing these urine samples every time you have a prenatal prenatal because we're checking for these things. Mm-hmm. And, but ultimately every woman is tested anywhere between 24 and 28 weeks. Some women are being tested now, even earlier again, right, if basically. you are a black woman, yeah. right. And you had it in your first pregnancy or it is, if it is your first pregnancy and you're a black woman over 30. Now they're testing you, at least here in the state of Georgia, you're being tested as early as 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. even 15 weeks if you going in they might test you a preliminary gestational screening just gestational diabetic screening is what I'm what they're calling it Mm -hmm. and then they'll test you again upwards of that 24 to 28 week mark Mm -hmm. um, because that's typically when it shows up so if your numbers are elevated the first test then they'll test you again they usually do a one hour glucose testing if you Mm -hmm. so-called fail that test or your numbers are, are greatly elevated They test you again, doing a three hour glucose test. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, when you come into these more researched moms, that's another reason why I hold space for those conversations. It can be controversial, right? They can, they come in with all of their Google facts and they will (laughs) tell you. (laughs) Why? (laughs) They they don't feel like they should be tested and Mm -hmm. all the different things. But ultimately for me, it's the growth of the baby. That's the greatest concern with gestational diabetes is- Mm -hmm. You know, yes, we want, we don't want you to be diabetic and end up on insulin. No one wants that. At the same time, we really don't want in this pregnancy what we call a fluffy baby or a really big baby because yeah, it's, it's hard can... to get them out.
0: Yeah. Very it, hard to get them
1: out. And
0: can be dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. It can
1: be. It can be. Big babies are. Ooh. So, I mean, in us as African-American women, we don't naturally grow big babies. Like we are more mixed in now. I understand that. But even still, our babies range six, seven pounds. We get an eight pound baby. We're like, woo, woo, that baby was eight (laughs) pounds. You know, nine pounds is like, oh my God. Yeah. That's not, that's on a a far end of normal for us to have eight and nine pound babies, right? It's very normal. It's just not in our epigenetic, it's not in our genotype. Right. Yeah. When you're talking about the coccozoid genotype, it's very normal for them. They, you know, came out the caucus mouth. They have more fat on their bodies for insulation purposes. They have nine pounds, nothing for them. That's yeah. a normal average size baby for them. Eight and nine pounds. And so when you're talking about our even down to our pelvis shapes, our pelvises are not are designed differently. Again, genotypes, you're looking at black women tend to have what's called an anthropoid pelvis. Mm-hmm. And our pelvis it has a more narrow inlet than a gynecoid pelvis. Mm-hmm. So it's not designed for us to have these huge nine10 pound babies. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get them out. Mm-hmm. And so gestational diabetes then becomes a big risk factor for us for vaginal delivery. And so yes, if you are if you're notate, if you're identified or diagnosed as being gestational diabetic you're going to be have to prick your finger every day and prove yourself worthy of a vaginal delivery. Yeah. Otherwise, you will have to have a C-section. Yeah. And that's another thing too with the
0: growth of babies. When I used to work labor and delivery, I used to see it all the time where a woman might measure a macrosomic baby, like on ultrasound, the baby may be over nine pounds. And because she's gestational diabetic, She has a possible big baby. They'll automatically do a C-section. C-section's done. The baby comes out weighing a whopping seven pounds. You know, I've seen that. Right. So I really think that women should be given the opportunity to labor Mm -hmm. because there are ways in which your body will show you, or there are things that can happen during labor that a good provider would be able to tell, okay, okay. This is not going to happen. Right. But I think that women who are pushed to a C-section because it's estimated by ultrasound that they're right. going to have a big baby should advocate for themselves and ask if this is the only reason why you think I should have a C-section. Is it
1: okay if I can do a trial of labor? Yeah, I have I have heard those stories yeah. as well. And then even I just had a mom who was measuring on a larger end. Mm-hmm. Quite healthy for the most part. She was over, way over her BMI. Mm-hmm. But baby, and I just knew this is gonna be a big baby, and I was so wrong. This baby came out seven pounds. I think she was seven four. Yeah, had a quite a pretty easy birth too for the most part, and not you know pretty quick. Yeah, actually. But so I, you're absolutely right. I agree. Yeah. I have certainly heard those stories where they have a C-section thinking it's a large baby, and the baby comes mm-hmm. out. You know, the the, the home ultrasound home. was two pounds off, right? Yeah. At but Martin. of course, you
0: know, if there are other risk factors or other reasons why the provider feels that the C-section might be best, okay. Or if the mom has a history of just having, you know, larger babies and now she's gestational diabetic. Like if there's other things, mm-hmm that are like weighing on the decision to do a C-section, okay, maybe you should consider. But if the only reason why is they say, okay, I have a nine pound baby on ultrasound, I would ask for a trial of labor because I've, yeah. I've seen other, other words, a woman gets a trial of labor and everything goes well,
1: you know. And, and also it goes back to the quality again, the quality of care, mm-hmm. you know, gestational diabetes can be reversed. Yeah, I, I'll give an example. Not only just with gestational. There's a, a midwife friend. Um, she's a student midwife, but way over her BMI, and she just was diagnosed with being pre-diabetic. It's been a bu- it's been a month now because she turned her numbers around in one week. Mm-hmm. She went on a. And I'm not telling people to go this extreme, but she went when she saw her numbers it was over 300 and something. I forgot what she said. She went immediately went on a raw food diet. Mm -hmm. and within one week her numbers had dropped a hundred points and then by the next week she was down another hundred points and she was losing weight pretty quickly I don't know where she stands now as I said that was like a month ago but my point in that story is a a reflection of diet Mm
0: -hmm. how
1: she just changed her diet (laughs) and so what I have found and one of the reasons why I think us as I'm gonna say black women all throughout the diaspora probably deal with blood volume challenges is because of our love of starch. Mm-hmm. We love starch and starches from potatoes to rice to bread to pasta, all of the things that turn into sugar. <laughs> right. Right. And it turns into sugar in our bodies. And unfortunately, and there's not it's very depleted of nutrition. There's not much nutritional value in these things, especially when you're talking about if these starches come are derived from white flour it just turns, immediately turns to sugar in our bodies. And it's a catalyst for diabetes, especially in pregnancy. It's a big catalyst for gestational diabetes. So that quality of care, what that should look like is if you have a person that's presenting as gestational diabetic, we got to dig into the nutrition piece and make the mom be more accountable for what she's eating, even those in food deserts, right? You know, help them identify foods in their grocery store aisles Shop around the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Stay off the aisles. That's what a junk is. Your live food, your real food, it's all around the perimeter. That's where you got your produce, your meat, your mm-hmm. raw meats, at least, and your dairy, and your, um, your raw cheeses and stuff. Right. That's where you need to shop. Stay mm-hmm. off of the cereal aisle. Stay off of the, <laughs> the bread aisle you know they (laughs) what is the bakery aisle with the chocolate chips and you know stay away from that (laughs) stuff you know and start feeding yourself live real food and they'll see a big change Mm -hmm. their their numbers just by doing something as simple as is cooking at home Mm -hmm. because that's a big problem i'm seeing especially here in metro atlanta there's most people here working more than one job they have a job and a hustle and we keep in DoorDash and Uber Eats in business here. We are definitely it's a this is the land of yes, restaurants.
0: Yes, here too.
1: <laughs> we know where to go and where to eat out. And if you can get people to start cooking at home more and even those folks, my, my families that I've had the, the the pleasure of working with that are very financially stable, they instead of eating out, I encourage them to hire a private chef or a private caterer. What do you call those people that to, to do meal prep by the week for them? so Mm -hmm. that they still get more quality control over all of the salt and sugars and fats that's in their food
0: yeah
1: right so things like that if if you're not born with juvenile diabetes if it's type 2 or gestational you can turn out you can control that you can before it gets out of control and you you Mm -hmm. know find yourself on insulin dependent you know or dialysis or something like that
0: And I always tell my patients who are looking to conceive that their prenatal care starts before they get pregnant, get healthy, take this time to exercise, to form healthy habits, healthy eating habits, healthy social habits. Take this time to start doing that because the healthier you are going into the pregnancy, the better the outcome, you know, way to obese lose some weight if you don't eat right change your eating habits if you're deficient on certain supplements start taking supplementation or eating the right foods to correct those deficiencies do those things now because it really will benefit you once you, you do
1: conceive you're right i agree and that intentional conception mm-hmm. unfortunately so many of us still just get pregnant right it's <laughs> if we can lose that language and not just yeah. and be more intentional mm-hmm. have intentional you know conceptions and then do the preconception work like you just mentioned yeah. we will see a big difference in our own healthcare. we totally would
0: we definitely would mm-hmm. we've come to the part of the podcast where i would like you to give your favorite quote or affirmation and how this Quote or affirmation has influenced your life and career?
1: Ooh, my favorite one is many hands make for light work. Mm-hmm. Many hands. That is actually the slogan or the motto for and the model, model and model for the Atlanta Dua Collective. Mm-hmm. That's how it was birthed. That was my parenting strategy. I mm-hmm. found myself to be a co-parent very early on with my children. And I understood very quickly that I, I needed a village. I couldn't do this alone. I didn't, I didn't conceive these children by myself. <laughs> and it's not fair that I should think I'm going to be raising them by myself. I released, I relinquished the single mom narrative. I was not, you know, I was a co-parent and I adopted it and I implemented not only with their fathers, but also with the village that I created with my, my parents, the grandparents. I made sure that all hands was on deck. Everybody put in, on the, the, the care and the grooming, <laughs> you know, and the needs of yeah. these children, so village <laughs> So many hands, oh my goodness, that is my absolute favorite um, mm-hmm. affirmation. And I think my other one will be focused. That's a mantra for me, mm-hmm. focus. I have to think I have my own layer of uh, ADHD, you know, granted, There's not this. to, right? <laughs> I know I'm on that spectrum. and so- I know I am. <laughs> for sure and so I have to all <laughs> constantly that's why I think I have so I've been able to do so many things exemplify you know the the authorship the dealership the the CEO all the things because my little brain just won't stay focused and I have to mm-hmm. constantly monitor that like to keep the focus yeah focus. yeah and so <laughs> I, I know and you know I have
0: to do the same exact thing because especially now because there's so much that I want to do there's and I feel like you know you can't do everything Mm -hmm. and I think you have to find that one thing that you're passionate about and focus on that and you know and that's what I'm trying to teach myself so I think I might take on that same mantra (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. that's weird because you can only really execute one thing at a time effectively Mm-hmm. one at a time right are you gonna or you're gonna mess up and something is gonna be lacking even exactly if it's you. Yep. Right. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> so now how can people follow you and learn more about you and the services that you provide thank you
1: love and touch is love l-o-v-e-n touch on all social media platform well, not all not on tiktok i mean i'm not on twitter Ooh. but i am Trying to grow my TikTok. It's kind of pitiful right now. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm very heavy on Instagram and my website is loveintouch.com. That's the best way to find me. Email me. All my contact information is there. I'm also on YouTube and trying to grow that one as well. Okay. That's how you can reach for me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Sakita, for being here. I enjoyed this conversation for sure. and I, And I think this is something that we can continue to talk about and I'm sure that I will have you come back you know just to kind of continue to expand on this conversation but I thank you for being here today and taking time out of your schedule
1: oh I appreciate you (laughs) for having me on thank you so much yes I appreciate the work that you're doing
0: right Mm I mean you continue with
1: lifting up all of these different people on your platform mm-hmm. to help your audience become more aware and conscious mm-hmm. in the decisions that they're making in their own bodies and in their lives. So, bless you mm-hmm. in your Thank work. You. Thank you so much. <laughs> sure. All right.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the eavesdrop podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I pray that you learned something new. Be sure to tune in weekly for new episodes. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, please consider rating the show. Rating the show will make it more visible to women who may need to hear this information. Also, share the podcast with your friends and family. Keep in touch with the podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You may reach out to me at drshalanavattle at gmail.com for any questions, concerns, or if you want to suggest a show topic. Well, until the next episode, be well, be whole, and be blessed. Bye.